Distilled, a spirited podcast. Hello and welcome to Distilled, the only podcast that's an anagram of tiled lids, probably. My name is Julie Christie and this week we're going to be speaking to Kieran Mulgrew, the founder and managing director of The Quiet Man. So far on Distilled, we've been talking mostly about the whisky made in the Republic of Ireland, but it's important to remember our cousins in the north. For a while, there were only two distilleries on the island of Ireland, Middleton in Cork and Bushmills on the North Antrim coast, both of whom deserve a lot of credit for keeping the flag flying during some very dark times in the industry. And now, as the whisky renaissance takes hold across the country, Northern Ireland is part of that with distilleries like Eklundville, Cullowan and more firing up their stills and creating a truly exciting whisky scene north of the border too. The Quiet Man, based in Derry, does not currently have a distillery, but instead sources and matures whisky in a variety of casks, producing some fantastic results and some extremely smooth drinking whiskies. Here to tell us more about the origin and the history of The Quiet Man is Kieran Mulgrew, joining us on the phone from Belfast. Kieran, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you very much, Julie. Great to have you here this morning. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your background in the spirits industry and how you came to start The Quiet Man? Well, I grew up uh, in a family bar business. Uh, my father uh, owned and operated a bar in Belfast. Uh, he worked in the, the licensed trade for 54 years. Uh, and I grew up from I was about nine or ten, collecting glasses, uh, brushing the floors, wiping the glasses, and then you graduate to pouring the pints and the and the whiskies and the vodkas. And I kind of, in all honesty, it's been in my family forever, and I grew up with it from as early as I can remember. Even before Sunday opening, I can remember at six and seven years old, having to go in with my uh, my father to take stock and things like that on a Sunday and to replenish the bar. So I've always been in this business and never really left it, to be honest. Great. And could you tell us a little bit how who is The Quiet Man? Am I right in saying The Quiet Man is your father? Yeah, uh, well, as I said, he worked his whole life in the bar business and he always used to tell me and my, my brothers and my sister that if you're going to work behind the bar, you're going to see the best of people and you're going to see the worst of people. You're going to need to be part priest, part psychiatrist and part social worker. Uh, <laughs> but no matter, uh, and sometimes actually the bar was in a difficult enough part of Belfast, you could have been a part boxer, wouldn't have done you any harm. Either. Um <laughs> But he always used to say that no matter what you hear, tell no tales. Uh, and the, the people who came into the bar called him the quiet man. Uh, and I thought when I started making, uh, started having the idea to create the whiskey, I thought that's what I'm going to call it. Uh, and that's, that's why it's been called the quiet man now. And then we, we call it, uh, Antiochian, the quiet man, Antiochian, which of course is, is, uh, the Gaelic for the quiet man. And for some of our listeners who might not be familiar with the Quiet Man Whiskey, when did this start? Um, what year did the, the Quiet Man Whiskey kind of start? And what whiskey did you start off with? Well, our core business in the company uh, is called Niche Drinks. And our core business is in cream liqueurs. And we've been making cream liqueurs since 1983. Uh, and throughout the 80s and 90s and, and onwards, we've always bought an awful lot of whiskey to go into our cream liqueurs. 
Uh, and a long time back, I began to think it would be nice if we would buy some whiskey and instead of putting it in our cream liqueurs, we would mature it, then blend it and bottle it ourselves. Uh, and we actually did the first bottling of The Quiet Man just at the end of 2015, around August 20 of 2015. Uh, and since then, we've launched a few different variants of it. We have our, our blended uh, Quiet Man, then we have a permanent eight-year-old uh, single malt SKU, and then we have a 12-year-old sherry finish and a 12-year-old single malt. And then on top of that, we've had different kinds of finishes that customers have asked us uh, for specifically, stout finishes or wine finishes or, or different things, um, which is always more interesting and gives the thing a little bit of vitality. Of course. Uh, and it's great. You could be in a smaller operator. Uh, if somebody wants something, then we we can take whiskey out of bourbon casks and we can finish it in a, uh, a different kind of cask, maybe a beer cask or a wine cask or a cask that's had peated whiskey in it before, just to give them something that's bespoke to them and something that's a little different. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of flexibility with that. Um, just to clarify to our listeners, um, the Quiet Man are not uh, actual distillery at the moment. Um, no, we, we do not distill the whiskey. No, we don't. Uh, and for those who do, uh, and there's a few of them who started in the north, it's great to see it. Bush Mills, as you'd said, have been uh, distilling, oh, I think by, way back to 1610, I think it is. It's, it's a long time. Uh, but then Dunville's have started distilling here up in the, the north. Uh, they've started in Short Cross. Uh, I think there's plans in Copelands who have thus far been making gin. Yes. Uh, so it's it's great to see others coming into it and, and bringing the thing back. And is there a hope that you guys will have a distillery at some stage, Kieran? Uh, I would hope so. At some stage, we've had plans for it, um, but the nature of life doesn't necessarily run smooth, and that didn't work out for us here in, in Derry, uh, where we've had the cream liqueur factory uh, since the 1980s. But that's something that we'll revisit again in the future. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of legislation and, and time behind these kind of things, so... Um, that would certainly be the hope to to have something up there. Um, uh, yeah. What would you say, is there any kind of differences, in your opinion, between Irish whiskey in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, or not at all? To be honest, I wouldn't think so. You know, uh, at this stage, it's probably in our interests that we develop different kinds of styles of production. Uh, if you look at the Scotch whiskies and, and you've got the Highlands and the Lowlands whiskies and you've got different uh, peated products and there are regions of Scotland which have distinct styles. And I think in Ireland, as the category matures and becomes more widely accepted and more established in overseas markets, there would be the chance to have uh, whiskies which are associated more with one region of the country uh, as opposed to others for specific reasons. It might be a different kind of finish. It might be different or longer distillation periods. But going forward, I'd say that's something which, from a producer's point of view, would be good to establish and try to do it settle out on a particular niche for each of the producers uh, as they can. But at this stage, in terms of how the product is consumed, uh, in terms of how it's produced, I think by and large, it's it's fairly stable across the island. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's quite interesting to, to relate that to Scotch. I mean, certainly, obviously, you have Isla that's kind of renowned for that peaty, smoky flavour. But then you are seeing a lot of crossovers as well. Speyside, for known to be fruity and floral, they're making some smoky whiskey as well. So it's important that I think brands don't get 
too too hemmed in in the regions. And I think with Irish whiskey and the restrictions, it is very, very flexible. So there's a lot of scope to kind of differentiate between the brands. Yeah, I think also the new entrants who come into that in the distillation end, uh, there's a tendency to be smaller, more independent operators, and they have the ability to do things uh, and to be a little bit more flexible. And also, you got to remember that it's a fun business to be in. And whether you're putting whiskey in a, a cask that's never been tried, rum casks, or maybe tequila even, or, or something else, there's a bit of crack involved in that. And, you know, it's it's hard to have a bad day when you start it with a whiskey tasting. <laughs> how, how whiskey that's been in a, a peated cask, for instance, for the last three months, how it's doing. Uh, there's, generally speaking, worse ways to start the working day now. That's very true. I think that's really important to remember. Whiskey is to be enjoyed at the end of the day. Um, what would you? People always ask me what what way. Sorry to cut across. No, you're mind, fine. But people say to me, uh, "What what should I take it with?" Uh, and they're always in asking as if it should be water or should be uh, ginger or something else. And I always tell people, "Take it with friends. What you put into it, that's a different issue. But take it with friends." Oh, that's lovely. That's so nice. And what would be your views on the growth of Irish whiskey at the moment? So obviously it's growing at a tremendous rate. Um, would you say this is sustainable at the moment, Kieran? Well, you, you would hope so. Uh, because if you look at the history, obviously we've been through uh, high peaks and low troughs. Uh, and there the people who kept the industry going through the difficult periods, particularly towards the end of the last century where it was tough going. Uh, you would hope that the growth can continue and that all of the new entrants can be established and can succeed over time. Uh, but certainly there's an interest in brown spirits. Bourbon is experiencing considerable growth as well. Uh, and I think a lot of consumers around the world, people who I would talk to in the States or elsewhere, they're beginning to say, well, something like vodka, it has to be by law, odorless, colorless and tasteless. You know, what is the point? Uh, whereas if you're drinking whiskey, there's the, imp- the impact of the mash bill, there's the impact of the maturation, the wood. Uh, there's so much more of interest and there's so much more to talk about. And ours is a social product and a social industry. And I think that more and more people are, are graduating from softer uh uh, softer is probably the wrong word, but a lot of the white spirits are taken with Cokes or with lemonades. Uh, and a lot of people are moving away from that and they're moving towards taking whiskeys, uh, bourbons. Some of the Japanese whiskeys are fabulous. Irish whiskeys, some of the Scotch whiskeys are wonderful too. Uh, and it just seems to be a more grown up interest for people to have. And I think that's likely to continue. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of that's down to people's palates changing. Um, they're a lot more complex these days and you know people are wanting to try new things so I think that is a big factor between uh, the growth in Irish whiskey and whiskey worldwide um, a lot of people ask me you know whiskey is that kind of stereotypical old man's drink but from whiskey shows like for example Whiskey Live Dublin and things like that I've been to you definitely see a lot more women coming into drinking Irish whiskey and a lot more younger people as well what would be your thoughts on that? Oh, I think that's not only is that the case in Whiskey Live Dublin, which is a fabulous event, uh, but we attend many whiskey shows throughout the UK, Europe, 
the US, uh, further afield, and it's always the same issue. I was at the BBC Good Food show recently, which we've attended for many years, both the summer and winter shows, but the summer show was just on uh, in the NEC in Birmingham, and I would say half the people who came to the stand for samples were females, uh, and the age range has definitely lowered. You will still get people who are more mature, who've been drinking whiskey for decades, but much, much more so. You're getting younger people, and they're way more educated on the product and how the product is made than you would think. Uh, So you get someone coming along who's in their 20s, and sometimes when you're standing at trade shows, you get a little bit skeptical uh, about here's someone who, and all they want is a free sample of something. But the reality is when you get talking to them, they're asking how... How many times is the product distilled? What's it matured in? Uh, and it would really surprise you the range of people and the depth of knowledge and interest that they have. And all of that augurs well. Uh, and the ability to stand at a trade show and to tell someone who is interested about your product, it's a wonderful thing as a, a producer. Uh, and we would be strong supporter of attend as many of those events as we can. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant to see and hear that a lot more younger people and women coming into drinking Irish whiskey and whiskey worldwide. Um, in my opinion, the whiskey industry across the board is actually quite a close community. Um, and I think it is important that we do work together, but also differ- differentiate ourselves. How would you find uh, working in the close whiskey community that we have in Ireland at the moment? Well, we're members of the Irish Whiskey Association and have been for a while, and uh, we have had nothing other than help and assistance from anyone we've ever uh, spoken with. Uh, Colin Egan has been very helpful to us when he was chair, and obviously Bushmills is very close to ourselves here. Uh, we're based in Derry, which is probably only about 40 miles away. Uh, but everyone uh, has been extremely helpful, and it's not a case of those who have succeeded the likes of Irish distillers or of Bush Mills uh, or of Teelings who have been very successful. It's not a case that they pull the ladder up behind them and they kind of try and hold on to the secrets and uh, and what has made their business successful. In my experience, they have been only too good uh, in terms of spreading their knowledge and advice and trying to help those of us who are uh, trying to make their way either as blenders and bottlers like ourselves or those who are going into distillation. So I would agree with you. Definitely it's a close-knit community and it's a community which has been very helpful one to the other, which is great to see. And in your opinion, Kieran, do you think there is any challenges in the upcoming years that we're going to face for Irish whiskey? There are challenges in, in every area of, of business. There's no question about that. Uh, at this stage, there's a, a rarity of mature whiskies, particularly uh, if you're in the, the malts anything over six, seven, eight years and upwards, there's not a lot of it about. In a few years' time, when there's more of it, you got to hope that the pricing activity stays where it is and doesn't uh, all of a sudden try to migrate downwards um, as people have stocks to sell. But hopefully by then we'll have opened up more markets and the demand will continue to grow and demand will continue to be slightly ahead of supply, which is what you want. Uh, but it's it's possible that other categories could come along and could reinvent themselves and could gain a lot of traction in the manner that gin has done. Yeah, that's very true. Over this last while. But I think actually that helps whiskey because, again, if people are, are migrating from vodka uh, and towards gin, 
Gin has got the botanicals. There's more happens with gin. It's easier then, I think, to move them from gin uh, to whiskey than it would be otherwise. Uh, so although there could be challenges with new categories becoming popular, equally, I think people's repertoire of what they drink has changed. Uh, if I go back to my days when I was very young working in the bar, uh, anybody who walked through the door when I was a kid, I could tell when the door opened and I saw who it was, I could tell what they would order uh, yeah. because they drank the same thing and they drank it all the time. Uh, I don't think it's the case anymore. And um, when I am out, I see young people. I'm involved in our, our local football team, uh, the GAA club in Belfast. And whenever we go out, the different we, young fellows from the team will order different things every time, you know. And especially if they've been in the bar for an hour and they've had a couple of beers, and then they look, they will get something different one day than they had previously. Uh, and I think that's great. Uh, it adds whiskey to a lot of people's repertoire. Uh, and from there, it's a matter of trying to convince them that Irish whiskies are really of top quality, as we know, that they're very drinkable, that there's a range of, of interesting products within the Irish whiskey family that they can try. Yeah, no, that's a great point, you know, linking gin in a sense to whiskey. It's having the people that are open to trying new things. And also, I think um, it's certainly more the craft gin industry that's thriving. So that focus on smaller and, and small batch and people interested in the, the new players into the Irish whiskey and gin scene. You mentioned the international market being a key focus. Um, would The Quiet Man be based um, in America and Asia, for example? Uh, well, yeah, we've been um, in, the, in the U.S. since we we did our first bottling, uh, and that would be an important market to us. But uh, in many ways, a lot of the markets which are important to ourselves will be markets which are important to everyone else who produces a brand of Irish whiskey. Uh, the data which is available on consumption is available to everyone, so uh, everyone tends to some extent to fish in the same barrel. Yeah, that's true. Um, from our point of view, certainly, we would have seen good growth in the U.S. in some of the Eastern European markets, further afield in South Africa and Russia, markets like that. Uh, and we would hope to continue to grow in those areas and also to add other markets on. The key thing is being able to find a distributor who is going to be able to put the product in danger of being sold. And you've got to be able to put it on a shelf and then you've got to use things like the Irish Whiskey Awards or other competitions that you can enter to try and win medals and to give a bit of credibility and a bit of status to your product. And that's what we have tended to do. But overseas markets hopefully will continue to grow both in depth of consumption, but also in broader consumption in that markets where we wouldn't at the minute associate with big Irish whiskey consumption. Hopefully they'll develop in the future. Fair enough. And um, in terms, what would be your plans for the future? What's next for The Quiet Man? Well, at this stage, we're, <clears throat> excuse me, we're fairly happy with the basic range of the blended product, the 8-year-old single malt and then the 12-year-old sherry and 12-year-old uh, single malt. And we have good stocks that going forward, we will always have those SKUs. Uh, you know, if you're going to have a 12-year-old SKU, not only do you have to have whiskey at 12, you've got to have it at 11, 10, 8, 9, the whole way down. Yeah. Uh, and we're quite happy that we have enough of that. We have reasonably big stocks. Uh, so in terms of developing the core range, I think we're happy with what we have. 
Um, at this stage, it's got to be a case of trying to identify uh, importers to work with in markets where we don't exist and then trying to execute better where we do. But the one thing I would say is that for all producers of, of whiskies, in fact, for all producers of any consumer good, the key thing is get the product in consumers' lives. And that's why events such as the, the whiskey show in, in Dublin and other events like it are so important. You've got to give people the chance to taste the product. Uh, and you've got to then tell them a little bit about it. Especially if you're a smaller company like ourselves, we won't have the huge resources for big above-the-line activities. So the more that you can talk to people, I can tell them that the whiskey is named after my father and why it's named after my father. Those things go a long way in trying to build up an emotional link with consumers. I think, yeah, that's a great point to make in terms of at Whiskey Live Dublin, you actually get to meet the people that make the whiskey. Um, it's not necessarily a sales team. Obviously, they're there, but you actually get to meet the managing directors. You get to meet the distillers. And that's really important for creating that bond with the consumer. Um, would you oh, have any, question. Would you have any new plans for Whiskey Live Dublin this year? Can we expect any maybe single casks or anything like that? Well, um, we, we'll probably bring with us um, some of our stout finished product, but we didn't do too much of it. Uh, and we did it specifically for a couple of markets. So that would be the only one that we would have with us that we didn't have last year. But otherwise, um, there is a fine line between continuously having something new, which is always interesting and always gives you something to talk about. But logistically, you've got to then have... An awful lot of sets of different labels. You've got to have different stocks. It gets to be very difficult. I would perceive it going forward that we will concentrate everywhere we go on the four main sustainable lines that hopefully will drive the business. And then other things such as bespoke finishes, we may do uh, as we have done for individual markets. Um, so that, that really is the way that I would see it going forward. No, definitely. Of course, it's the, the core range that you'd want to focus on. So, Kieran, in terms for drinking whiskey, um, obviously, Quiet Man is gorgeous neat. You can have it with ice as well. Um, is there any kind of cocktail recommendations that you would have for any of your whiskeys? Um, personally, now, I would be a man on the malts just for taking it neat with a little bit of ice. Uh, cocktails, I... I very simple tastes and for me ginger beer you know uh, the quiet man blend I would take it with ginger beer and that is just lovely otherwise everyone has versions of Manhattans or some of the classic old cocktails that people use uh, but I'm a simple man from Belfast and I'll take it as it comes or take it with a bit of ginger beer and, and that'll do fine for me. Stick with a classic love it well, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on Distilled Today, Kieran. It was a pleasure to have you and have a great day. Thank you very much, Julie. All the best. And I look forward to seeing you at the show. Thank you. Bye now. Definitely a case of watch this space for Northern Ireland, as it is with the rest of the island. With that, we've come to the end of another episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to catch every episode, please go and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Also, make sure to follow us on our social channels at Distilled Pod on Twitter and at Distilled Podcast on Instagram for updates. We'll hope you'll join us next week for the last in the current series as we talk to whiskey collector and whiskey blogger Omar Fitzell. 
Until then, I'm Julie Christie and this has been Distilled. <laughs>